happy Sunday, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. It's so good to see everyone this morning. Um, I am not speaking today. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> and all God's people said. Amen. 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 Okay. <laughs> no, but it's my pleasure. You guys hear me say this all the time. Um, one of the primary jobs I have and my pleasure as pastor is to do two things is to, number one, build a platform for other people to stand on. Uh, that has been very much real and alive in me for many years. That's my primary objective. Uh, the next one is exactly what Scripture says, is it's my job and Kevin's job and Selena and Audra's job as pastors, uh, is to equip you for the work of the ministry God has prepared in you to do. Right now, we all know and understand that it's the ministry of reconciliation. We all are ministers of reconciliation into the world. But we also know and have been looking at it on Thursday nights for some weeks that every believer, everybody say every believer. Every. How many believers? Every. Does that include you? Yes. Are you an everybody? Yes. Yes, you are an everybody. So every believer has been given by Jesus a gift of ministry. We've identified 14 separate ministry gifts and three of Paul's lists. So you have at least one of those, and I believe that God is in favor of double dipping. And so some of us have double and triple dips of different things. But everyone has at least one of the 14 ministry gifts that Paul lined out. Again, for those that are listening or watching, you can find those lists in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at the end of the chapter, and the famous Ephesians chapter 4. But every believer has been given a ministry gift. So you need to know and understand that as you become part of our church family, I'm a-hunting your gift. Right? <laughs> nobody is safe and nobody can hide. Right? Because that's, right. that's my job. I am part of the nose of the bloodhound of heaven. And my job is to help <laughs> sniff out what God has put on the inside of you so that I can do my job well and equip you for the work of the ministry. So we are identifying a new teaching gift in our church body today, right? And you hear me say this all the time. When this happens, we uh, try it on like shoes. People believe and they stick their hand up. And so just here's my other pastoral caveat. If send me what you believe you are, send me what you believe God has gifted you with, right? And we'll walk it out together. So it's like trying again, my analogy, like trying on shoes. We'll put it on, see if the shoe fits. Right? If the shoe fits, awesome. Let's, let's wear it out and get comfortable in it. If the shoe, for whatever reason, doesn't fit, that's not bad. That just means it's not your pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. But you have a pair of shoes. We will find it, and we will put it on. Does, does that make sense? Now, I want to address this because we live in the South. Right? <laughs> and in the South, we have some, now this is Bradology, some fairly erroneous understandings of Scripture. Right? One of those being that only men folk can stand up here and do what you see me doing. Right? That is erroneous in Scripture. How do we know that it's erroneous? Because A, Jesus used women the first two times he declared himself to the world. Right? Once before the cross, when he presented himself publicly as Messiah, he did it first to the woman at the well. She was the very first one that Jesus presented himself to publicly and then encouraged her to go tell her whole city who he was. Right? Secondly, when he rose again from the dead, it was Mary who came up and he then said to her, 
Remember, don't touch me because I haven't ascended to the Father. But go tell my brethren, this is who I am and I am alive. So the very first post-resurrection evangelist of Jesus Christ was Mary. Hallelujah. So on one side, if Jesus uses women, what in the world is wrong with me if I don't? Are you with me? Now, we know that is then highlighted by what Paul then told us. And here's again your pastoral little, little nugget for the day. Remember that we live in Paul's letters. The epistles are where we live and spend our life. They unpack and explain all that Jesus did in the Gospels. Right? So Paul says, because in Christ Jesus there is neither male nor female. Jew or Gentile. Right? Slave or free. Barbarian or cultured person. Everyone is equal and the ground is level at the foot of the cross because of Christ and his work. Does that make sense? So there is now, because of Jesus in the church, no more of any kind of other distinctions. Whether they're cultural distinctions, racial distinctions, socioeconomic distinctions, gender distinctions. We are all equal in Christ. Amen. Now, in other times, we will talk about roles and responsibilities, but that's a whole other time, right? So I am pleased to have Penny Tykemiller come up and bring the Word of God this morning. I'm excited to see the gift of God in you. I'm excited to see what's going to come from this beginning point, all right? So come on up, sister. When I imagined this in my head, the only thing that was missing was this microphone. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, to say I'm nervous would be a bit of an understatement. <laughs> so, um, I am. I do want to say though, I'm grateful to have a place to have the opportunity Amen. to do what I feel like God's putting on my heart to do, and a place where I'm surrounded by people who love me Amen. and who are not probably going to throw anything at me, <laughs> um, and who cheer me on, whether Absolutely. this shoe happens to fit or it doesn't. Absolutely. Um, so I am grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity. So. Um, I did just want to say a prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, I just want to come and thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this time together. I just uh, thank you that you are here, that you are present. I ask that you would calm my nerves, that you would speak through me, that the words that come from my mouth would be your words, not my own words, that that would be your agenda, not my agenda. And God, I just thank you. I thank you for that promise that you're always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, when I spoke with Brad about the possibility of, I didn't even know he was going to really do this and give me the opportunity, but he just asked me what's been burning on your heart. And one of the things that's been burning on my heart for a very long time is the subject of uh, what it means to be a woman in God's image and um, the femininity of God. And I got a little nervous because I'm like, well, God could have, I got maybe just a little bit easier topic that would have been a little, 
easier for everybody to, to maybe absorb. <laughs> but this is the one that has been burning on my heart. And I want to give you a little bit of backstory about where it came from um, or why it has been a passion for me. And part of that is that in my story, I, I grew up in church. I tried to cross all my T's and dot all my I's and do all the good, godly woman things that I was supposed to do. And I ended up getting married to a guy who was a missionary. And things just didn't go very well. And uh, I don't want to camp out on this very long, but I ended up being in a lot of emotional and psychological abuse. Um, and I began to see around me as I was, as God was ever so faithful in leading me out of that season, out of abuse, that there are so many other women in the church who were dealing with the same things. Mm-hmm. And to it broke my heart that, and not in every church and certainly not in this church, but in a lot of the churches that I was seeing, there wasn't the support for women. There wasn't the knowledge to know how to support women or how to help them out of these situations. I still have people who are very dear to my heart who are still caught up in the clutches of abuse. And so this became just like a passion on my heart, kind of women's rights, if you will, but from God's perspective, not the world's perspective. And I began to question a ton, like, okay, God, what do you really think about me as a woman? What do you really think about my roles and responsibilities as a woman? What are you really saying about this? Because I I didn't just need it for me, for me to be able to be free, not only in body, but in my mind from what I had lived through. But I... I wanted to know because this deep passion wells up in me to help set other women free who are in the same position, and especially women in the church, because you see women in the world who are in abuse, and they don't have the background of of church teaching that kind of sometimes can hold you in a place uh, that God doesn't intend for you to be. And what, what became more and more clear to me is this absolutely not God's heart for his daughters. Absolutely not God's heart for his daughters. Um, so I want to read a quote from Captivating because I know when you start to talk about abuse, it can very much turn into a man bad, woman good kind of it. And that is not God's heart either. God created both men and women, and it's a beautiful, awesome design. It's just that we've erred so far from that design in the world, but even sometimes in the church. And um, I think that it's very important, and I love how this author said it, said it much better than I feel like I could say it, so I'll read their words to you about really where the root of that is. It's not that the root of the heart of man toward woman is bad. It's that we have an enemy who is dead set against the design that God put in masculinity. You see it in, he attacks masculinity. He attacks femininity. And so... um, this book is called Captivating by John and Stacey Eldridge, and uh, it's talking about the special hatred that the enemy has for the daughters of Eve. Um, and it says, this assault on femininity, its long history, its utter viciousness cannot be understood apart from the spiritual forces of evil. Uh, one of the reasons that the enemy so much hated Eve is because you see in Ezekiel 28, 12 through 4, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 28, 17, that his heart became proud on account of his beauty. Uh, The word says that he was perfect in beauty. He was gorgeous. He was breathtaking. And it was his ruin. 
His heart became proud on account of his beauty, and he corrupted his wisdom. Satan fell because of his beauty, and now his heart for revenge is to assault beauty. Um, he hates Eve most because she is captivating, uniquely glorious, and he cannot be. She is the incarnation of the beauty of God. Very good. The evil one also hates Eve because she gives life. Mm. Women give birth. Women nourish life. They also bring life into the world soulfully, relationally, spiritually, and everything they touch. And Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He brings death, and his is a kingdom of death. So, of course, he has a special hatred for Eve. Um, and that's why we see all the abuses. And I, I could, you know, I could go into a long list of them, but I don't feel like that's what I need to do this morning of uh, travesties that have happened to womankind down through the centuries. Um, but that's where it's rooted in. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, that's but right. against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness right. in heavenly places. So as women, I do feel like there is a... There is a right way to rise up into our God-given design, and there's a wrong way. And I believe that that wrong way is very much uh, modern feminism. Yeah. Um, and ironically, I feel like modern feminism throws even more ideas about us, erroneous ideas at us, about what it means to be a woman or what a woman should look like. Um, I don't have, I'm not only going to read quotes to you this morning, but um, I do have another couple of quotes about that that I thought were really uh, impact. They were really impactful to me, I'll just be honest, because in my coming out of abuse, there's definitely, I always feel like when you come out of something, you kind of have a pendulum swing in one direction and then a little bit back the other way until you kind of land in the sweet spot, so to speak. And I really struggled sometimes with some of these ideas of, yeah, woman power, hear me roar, you know, like I will never go back there again. Um, but then I also, through the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit, know that that's not, that wasn't God's way. And so this guy wrote, uh, he writes biographies, he's known for writing biographies, and he did this one called Seven Women that has seven short biographies of great women. And he talks about when he asks uh, friends for suggestions of which women he should do biographies about and how, by and large, everyone came to him with women who had done something for the first time that men had already done. So Amelia Earhart, because she was the first woman to fly across, but she was doing something that men had already done. So I'll pick up this quote, and it says, What struck me as wrong about these suggestions is that they presumed women should somehow be compared to men. But it seemed wrong to view great women in that way. The great men and seven men were not measured against women, so why should the women and seven women be measured against men? All of them, the ones that he went on to choose, uh, existed and thrived as women. Um, men and women were deliberately designed to be different. Indeed, we are specifically created as complements to each other, as different halves of a whole, and that whole reflects the glory of God. There's a little bit more to that, but I don't feel like I should go on. But basically saying that when you take that idea that women should be measured against men 
and that if that's what we as women are looking at as how to prove ourselves, and I mean, I'll be honest, how many people, have, how many women in the room have ever felt like, in order to prove myself, in order to prove my worth, I need to be able to do what men do and do it as well as or better than. I mean, it's the prevailing thought in feminism in our culture um, that it's totally other than God's design in us as women. And it's actually anti-femininity because it tries to turn us into the masculine. And it's, it's just, it has the marks of the enemy all over it. He's like, oh, you want to be free? Come this way and do it this way. And that's not what God's saying. Um, so this is one reason that this message is very important to my heart because of what I've come out of, because I see other women who need to come out. And also a couple of other things. It's, it's funny because I started reading different things in the Bible and asking God to highlight what do you really mean here about women and the Holy Spirit just cut through all that and said here's the baseline here's what you need to know it's almost like that old saying there's many ways to skin a cat it's like I was skinning mine backwards I was like okay I need to know if it's okay if I do this and it's okay if I do that and I was picking apart every scripture that had to do with women and one day in my quiet time um I felt like the Holy Spirit came to me. I was I was praying, and one of the ways that I pray is I would say Abba, because I had gone through this intimate journey with the Lord to where I didn't just see Him as Savior and Lord, but I saw Him as my Father. And so when I would pray, I would say Abba, and then I saw Jesus as my husband, you know, my future husband. And there's a verse in Hosea that calls him Ishi. And so I'd say, Ishi, and that's how I would just start my prayer time. So this particular morning, I'm like, Abba, Ishi, Holy Spirit. And it's like, all of a sudden, Holy Spirit said, you don't know my name. And I went, okay, you know one of those moments when the Holy Spirit hits you and you're like, wow, that was a total blind spot. I did not see that coming, but it felt really profound. So I started to look up the name of the Holy Spirit. And this is how God cut straight to the quick of what I needed to know about myself as a woman in order not to tolerate abuse, to know that it's not okay for God's heart, in God's heart for women to live in abuse was, he said, you need to know that you're created in my image. And um, so I looked up the word for um, the name for the Holy Spirit. And it is uh, Ruach HaKodesh. And um, in the, what, what really caught me when I looked it up in the Hebrew is that it's a feminine noun. It's not a masculine noun. And uh, this is where I'm like, oh, I might lose a lot of people. <laughs> and I thought in my mind a hundred ways to kind of like apologize and sneak up on it, but I'm just going to speak what God put in my heart. I'm not asking you to accept it hook, line, and sinker. I want to open the door, like you said one day, uh, several weeks ago, to some pasture that you might feed in with the Lord on your own time, in your own space, and ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the truth is about this. This is what I feel like Holy Spirit has revealed to me. If I'm wrong or erroneous in any way, please give me grace. Um, but the name Ruach HaKodesh is feminine, and I was blown away. Um, 
because I guess I had always been told we're created in God's image, but I always thought of it more as a masculine thing because God has only been really referred to and talked about in masculine terms. And so I do want to go back to the beginning in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. It says, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures. I'm sorry, that's 24. I need glasses. <laughs> <laughs> then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so in that verse where it says, then God said, let us make man, the word for God there is actually Elohim, and it's in the plural. So it shows us that the Trinity is present at creation and is present. All three persons of the Trinity are present as they're making man. And what I also found interesting as I was studying this, that he says, let us make man in our image, which is a masculine term, and according to our likeness, which is a feminine term. Very good. That's right. Um, wow. Very good. Very good. I'm sorry all the pluses me into deep. <laughs> because, I, and I'll, I'll track back and say, the root of all abuse is a belief system of inequality. That's right. That Very one good. is better than the other, Very or that good. one is less than the other. Very good. So when you see this affect me profoundly, it's because it's like you said, there's equal footing at the cross. That's there's right. not male or female. And, and to know that I am created in God's image uniquely as a woman. You are created in God's image uniquely as a woman just does something to empower that design yes, in me. very good. Um, so, logically speaking, if women are made in God's image, which this verse clearly tells us that they are, then there has to be something feminine about God. But this is where it began to be a stretch for me because I hadn't really ever thought of God in the feminine. Does anybody have a Kleenex? <laughs> My almost tears are coming out undesirable places. <laughs> Thank you. So I just wanted to reference, and this is where uh, some of these um, Bible verses I have just printed out in my notes because it would feel like an old-fashioned sword drill if I made y'all go everywhere that I was going to go this morning. So some of them I'm just going to talk about. Uh, some of them we will go to. Um, but I noticed that there are several allegorical references to the femininity of God in the scripture. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And so he refers to God there in the, in the feminine form of a hen with her baby chicks. In Isaiah 66, 12 through 13, for thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like, the, like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall... shall I'm sorry, I didn't type that correctly. 
Then you shall feed on her sides. I'm sorry, that's what it should be. Then you shall feed on her sides. You shall be carried and be dandled on her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And then another one of my favorites is the three parables where uh, God talks about the lost sheep. Jesus talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And I'm not going to read all of those parables just for time's sake. But you know about, he said, if a shepherd loses a sheep, he goes out and he finds it. If a woman loses a coin, she sweeps the house until she finds it. And the, the, the father in the story of the prodigal son, he is waiting for his son to come home. He's, he doesn't rest until he finds his son. And so the question would be, who does the shepherd represent in the parable of the lost sheep? Yeah. Jesus. Jesus represents God. And the sheep represent us, his lost children. Who does the lost son represent and the prodigal son? Us. us, his lost children. And who does the father represent? Right. Represents God. And so in the parable of the lost coin, That's exactly right. the coins represent us. Yeah. And the woman who sweeps the floor represents God. That's right. Yes. Very good. Amen. That's right. Good. Very, very good. <laughs> this experience that I had with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit um, kind of showed me the femininity and now I'm not saying that only the Holy, the Holy Spirit is the only feminine aspect of God or that there's there's no masculinity in the Holy Spirit. Exactly. I don't think I have a pay grade high enough to try to decide those things. I, I, what I'm trying to pull out this morning is the things that the Holy Spirit has shown me and God has shown me through my study in the Word of all the aspects where I see the femininity of God. And I do, by and large, see it more in the person of the Holy Spirit than in the other parts of the Godhead. Um, so I'm not trying to make blanket statements, um, but I do think it's interesting how if you think of the Holy Spirit as the feminine it would be the Trinity would look like a family, yes. and that we would be a family in the image of God. And He says we are three, but we are one. And He says, therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one. And so I think it's a beautiful picture. It's yes. like the heavenly first family, and all of our families are pictures of that. That's right. So um, let's go to Isaiah. Um, 11, 1 through 3. I tried to give myself little cheat notes here of how to get there. This is one of the first scriptures that Holy Spirit showed me after the kind of the revelation that I had. And it was, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch that grows out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So here's a description of the Spirit. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so he connected for me that the Spirit is also wisdom. So when we go to Proverbs, and you, you can or you don't have to turn there, but Proverbs 8 Verse 1 in Proverbs 9, verse 1 says, Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? So wisdom is known in the Bible as feminine, 
and the spirit is known as wisdom. And so, uh, also in Proverbs 9, verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. Um, back into Proverbs 8, 22 through 24. This is one you might want to look at if you're turning with me. Um, when there were no deaths, this is wisdom speaking, I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water. That's verse 24. Let me back up to 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there ever was, was ever an earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no fountains abounding with water. Now, this is a pennyism. <laughs> I'm going to borrow your Bradism term. This is a pennyism. I have read some commentary. Again, it's nothing I can prove or not prove, but I like the symbolism in the picture of it. That word, I was brought forth, actually has a, a connotation of birthing, of birthing pains. And one of the commentaries I wrote that said, just like God took Eve out of Adam's side, before creation, God brought the spirit out of his own side to be his bride. And that, where she says, um, he possessed me from everlasting. Let's see. Now I have lost it, y'all. There's a place in here where it says that she rejoices before him. She was as a as a verse thirty. Verse thirty. Thank you. I'm like I know. Oh, there it is in my notes. Verse 30, it says, Then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. And I like that symbolism too, because I think in the in the King James it says as one brought up, but it's the same word as master craftsman there, and in, in the Hebrew it means architect. And when you go back to Proverbs 9-1 that says wisdom has built her house, she was the architect of her family. Yeah. And um, hopefully you can begin to, hopefully Holy Spirit start to put some things together for you as a woman. Often we are architects of our family. That's right. When you go to Proverbs 14.1, it says a, a wise woman builds her house. And so that's how we reflect that part yes. of, of God. Oh, and the rejoicing part was just interesting. And the Holy Spirit highlighted it to me. I would have never thought to look it up otherwise. But I was like, rejoicing before him, what does that mean? It's the same word. I don't know if y'all remember the story in Genesis where um, Abraham would go into a place and tell the king there that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife because he was afraid. And then Isaac picked up the same habit and he did the same thing with Rebecca. And it says that King Abimelech, after they had been there for a while, looked out of his window and he saw, I think in the King James it says, um, he saw Isaac sporting with his wife Rebecca. That word rejoicing before him is that same word. And immediately, whatever sporting meant, whether it was flirting or whatever it was, Abimelech knew they were married. <laughs> That is exactly the same word that is here for the Holy Spirit and how she rejoiced before God, before the creation of the world. That's right. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, I just want to develop this a little bit further and maybe bring it um, to a little bit more of a place of not necessarily application because I feel like this is one of those things that, like I said, this is a pasture you're kind of being led into. I'm not your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to speak to you about the convictions of your heart and what you decide to believe on this point. But um, I think it lends the most dignity and honor to women yes. to know that we are also created in God's yes. image. It's That's not right. just a masculine That's thing. Right. Yes. And I also believe with a deep passion that God wants us to rise up into the fullness of that design as women, that that's a key to revival coming to our world, that that's a key to him moving in the world that he, in the way that he wants to move. And it's also, um, my nerves have gotten me and I lost my train of thought. There's also, there it is, there's also a part of the heart of God that totally gets missed if you can't see the femininity of God. That's right. And so that's what we bring to the world. That's, that's right. part of the picture of God that we as women bring to the world, and it's an important and a, and a powerful thing. Yes. Um, that's right. So there's just three kind of points where, um, that, and this is not at all, uh, all-inclusive or anything. These are just three things that the Spirit highlighted to me of ways that we as women are like the Spirit. Um, and this first one, it's hard to get through without sounding like I'm uh, not trying to be arrogant as a woman, but it says the Spirit is wisdom and trains in wisdom. And so I think as women, that's part of what God allows us to do uh, in training our children, that we train them in wisdom. Also, in the older women training the younger women, yes. we train in wisdom and in, in different ways. Um, that that's one way we reflect the Holy Spirit. I've already read where wisdom has built her house and that a wise woman builds her house. So you see a direct uh, correlation there, a direct reflection there. Um, in Romans 8, we'll look at uh, Romans 8, 26 through 27. And it says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we all, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we see the Spirit interceding. And these were just no-brainer ways that I'm like, oh, mamas are known for interceding. That's what mamas do. <laughs> you know? Very um, good. Also in um, John 16, 13 through 15, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So it's just another example of how the Spirit gives wisdom and how godly women Again, we guide our children and, and we teach younger children. 
Um, and then another very direct way um, in the scriptures, Proverbs 31, 26, when it's talking about the, um, the Proverbs 31 woman, it says she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. So when wisdom is one way we reflect as women um, that we are made in the image of God. Um, the Spirit also facilitates relationship. And women, we know, are very relational. We are all about relationship. I have never seen my mama any happier than when all of her kids are at home and all of her grandkids are at home and she has made a meal and everybody's all around and we're just, she's just seeing. And she was always delighted for me to spend time with my daddy. If I was ever sideways with my daddy, she would preach his praises to me. <laughs> Um, because she was facilitating that relationship. She was making sure, she was going in and trying to make sure that there wasn't any severance in that relationship. And that's very much what the Holy Spirit does between us and the Father, between us and Jesus. Um, I do have another uh, quote here, a couple of quotes here that I thought were really beautiful. It says, The blessing of the Lord is not dispensed mechanically, religiously, or legally. It is the fruit of fellowship with the Lord. That is how we get blessed from the Lord is through fellowship with Him. As Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It is Israel who knows and walks with the Lord, or it is us, and so that the great blessing comes into being. Since it is the Spirit who gives life, and since life comes through knowing the Lord, the Spirit is not uninterested in our relationship with the Lord. She is inherently passionate about it. She is the spirit of relationship, of encounter, of revelation and response. The Spirit sets the table, so to speak, so that the Lord and we can meet. Says the Holy Spirit knows how to make the cosmos dance. Her great joy is that she gets to be in the middle of it all and gets to be in the middle of it all and enjoy the love, healing, and abounding life she brings about in others. The Holy Spirit is the giver, former, and lover of life. She is in the midst of the Father and the Son, the bond of love between them. And now in Jesus, she is in our midst, or perhaps I should say we are in hers. And she won't give up until she is the bond of love between us and Jesus and his Father. And the heavens and the earth and all their inhabitants are alive with the unbridled life of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. I just thought that was a really beautifully worded way of what the Spirit is about in the world. Um, we have the familiar verses. I'll read through them really quick. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So that you just see more relation in the spirit. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, which can be viewed as right relationship, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And I thought about, y'all forgive me the analogy, but I thought about um, the water of the womb. Yeah. And it's the water of the womb of the spirit that baptizes us in life. 
and it was by the water of the womb of that sweet woman back there that I was baptized into the same family with my sister. And so as we are all born of the Spirit, we're baptized into one family. Um, which brings me to my final point, that the Spirit always brings new life. Yes. And I think this is one of the greatest ways we as women are made in our God's image is that He endowed us with a great privilege to bring life. In Genesis 1, 1 through 2, you see the Spirit hovering over the waters before creation commences. And, and incidentally, you almost always see waters with new birth. Yes. And you always see the Spirit present. Yes. In Exodus 14, 21, I won't go there for time's sake or read the whole story, but when they when Israel is brought out of Egypt and they're about to cross the Red Sea, well, actually, they come up to the Red Sea and they think, we're toast, we're going to die, you know? And they start fussing with Moses, and Moses raises his rod over the sea, and it says that all that night, the Ruach, the Spirit of God, the mighty, it actually says the mighty Spirit of God, blew across the waters and separated them and there was water on one side and water on the other. And in Jewish tradition, they always speak of that as a birthing canal. That that path through the Red Sea was like a birthing canal. And the Spirit facilitated in them being born into a new nation. So you always see the Spirit present when new life is being formed. Whether it's a new baby, it's a new creation, it's a new nation. The Spirit is all about John 3, 3 through 6. Um, I'll turn there so I don't mess it up. But Nicodemus has come to Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So it's just another picture of how the Spirit brings life, and how we bring life in the flesh, but the Spirit brings life in the Spirit. Absolutely. Um, of course, there's the Spirit hovered over Mary when she conceived. So you just see life in the Spirit all over the place. <laughs> I was like, I could go to about a million different places and wear y'all out, but I won't do that. Um, so, in conclusion, we are in the we are made in the image of God. I think I see the correlation between the feminine heart and the feminine soul and the Spirit of God more clearly than any other part of the Godhead. Um, and in these particular ways, like I said, it's not an exhaustive list, but we bring life, we speak wisdom, we foster and facilitate relationship as women. And again, one of the reasons this was so important to me, because some of what we do as women isn't necessarily news to us, but it might be news to us that it actually is not just something to be made fun of, oh, yeah. she's just so relational, or, <laughs> but it's actually how we portray God to the earth. Yes. It is a part yes. of the living image of God in the world. Yes. And so, mm -hmm. 
It bestows a dignity. And Selena did such a good job on Mother's Day, some of the quotes that she read from her book, and think of bestowing dignity on what it is that we do as women within our family and how important it is. And I think the world, modern feminism, the enemy, abuses, erroneous teaching in the church has tried to convince us that what we do as women is worthless. But how could it possibly be worthless if it is in God's image? And so that's why this message in particular burns on my heart, is that I want to see women <coughs> rise up to be everything that God created us to be without apology, with kindness and with grace, but without apology and with confidence that it matters, it deeply matters what you do as a woman in your family, in your church, in the yes. world around you. It is much needed. Absolutely. And not to minimize what men do, absolutely much needed as well. That just wasn't my topic this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a beautiful comp a compliment to each other. Yeah. And I, I do believe that's one of the main highlights that I saw through study is how much modern feminism hits the two together yes. in, in a kind of a keeping score where each person is torn down yeah. rather than built up. And in the body of Christ, we honor and we um, lift each other up. We don't, we're not against each other. We realize we're different on purpose, for a purpose. We complement each other yes. and we build each other up. That's right. Yes, and that's what Amen. I have. Awesome. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Very good. Praise God. Very, very well done. Uh, I will say it looks like the shoe fits. Yes. Uh, very much so. So let's keep working on how how we work in it and grow in it and stuff. So we'll we'll talk and continue on that and all that. Uh, but guys, this, uh, just to express why this is so important is I mean, Penny, you already hit on it. Is the devil's goal is to get us to view God differently, but to do that. Because we were made in God's image, he must make us view each other differently. Right? He, and that's, that, um, that's the greatest trap of the enemy is disequality or, or not seeing people as equal. Because if I view another, and you, you said something, I've only heard myself say this. And so it's very cool to hear another person say it because then I know I'm not crazy. Right? Is, um, is you know, it's equally as wrong. Would you not agree if I thought I was better than you? Is that wrong? Yes. Would we all agree that? If yes. I if I genuinely stood up and said, you know, I'm pretty awesome. I'm amazing. And Delane, I'm better than you. Right. If I thought that and that was genuine, would we all say that's bad? Yes. But do you also know it's equally as wrong if I said, but Delane, I know you're better than me. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So we don't, we, we easily identify the one. We culturally accept the other. That if I think, oh, well, I'm not as good as Kevin. And in the church, we even do that more, and we call it humility. Right? And we spiritualize it and say, that's how God's going to exalt you. Not realizing that we actually played into the hands of the devil. And that's how we chain ourselves. And not step into what God... So remember this, and this is... Again, the application of why this is important. Because you have to understand humility. Remember, God says he resists the proud. 
right? So pride is for me to say that I'm better or to believe that I'm worse. They're, they're two sides of the same coin, right? And if I'm proud, then, then I fall into resistance of the things of God. Yes. Do you see that? But humility is the pathway for God then to be able to exalt us properly, right? So humility is when I acknowledge and accept what God has made me to be. I am humble. That's right. Right. Again, we're all good old Southern folk, right? He is the potter. potter. Come on, y'all help me now. He is the potter. potter. I am the clay. So who gets to decide what's done to the clay? The potter. The potter. Right? It is arrogant for the clay to decide it's something else. <laughs> it is, and it's arrogant for the clay to say, and what you made is not that not awesome. <laughs> right, it, right. It's kind of arrogant for the play to say, you know, you kind of screwed up over here. <laughs> you, you, I think you made a mistake. Just as much as it's for the clay to decide to be something it's not. Humility genuinely is is when you say, okay, Father, you made me, and there are base things that He did. You, you made me a man. So therefore, it is humble for me to be all man. Yes. That's not arrogance. That's humility because I didn't make me a man. The potter made me a man. Does that make sense? Just as much as when ladies stand up and say, I am a woman, that is humility. And to step into full femininity and what that represents in God is not arrogance. That's right. That's right. Amen. That's actually humility. And it's the pathway to being exalted. Properly, does this make sense? Again, and I and I'm not trying to belabor the point and, and, and stuff, but to, to just add weight to what you're saying and why it's important, because you don't know that fully yet, but you're learning, right? Why this applies, and the and that's the way it always is. God begins to lead you to pasture, and He begins to get you to revelation, and normally He goes, and your little mind is popped, and you don't know why it was popped, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, this is whatever. And, and then as you grow in it and you get deeper into that pasture, he shows you why it's important. So I'm just trying to also help you know why it, and all of you get to know why it's important. Um, because we bear the image of God, right? And the devil is against the image of God. But the other side of this is for life is humility is stepping into who God has made me to be. So that's male, that's female. Remember Paul uh, writes uh, the book of Ephesians. And in the fifth chapter, uh, he starts and he begins to say, be wise and not be foolish like the world. Not being aware of circumstance of what's going on and being drunk with wine, which is in excess. He says, but wisdom and the will of God is to be filled with the spirit. And then he begins to unpack what a spirit filled life looks like. He says a spirit filled life is a worshipful life. We sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing. We make melody in our heart to the Lord. That is a part of a spirit-filled life. He goes on. The next thing he says, a spirit-filled life is a grateful life, a thankful life. We thank God in all things. Right? And we are thankful. And that's an aspect of being a spirit-filled person is to be thankful. Then he says an interesting thing that we don't always preach about. He says in the same context, he says the third thing, he says in a spirit-filled life is a submissive life. 
And then he goes on in the next verse in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, so therefore submit yourself to one another. You ever read that before? And then he goes on and famously unpacks three life aspects. He talks about husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters and servants. Now, he's still talking about being a spirit-filled life. He hasn't changed subjects. He's just giving us three life applications to understand what he's talking about. He says, all of us submit to one another. I would say it like this. All of us be humble and be what you are. That's how do I submit? You know I submit to my wife. Did y'all know that? Some of y'all are like, I'm not saying nothing, Brandon. Because normally we throw out this up and we go, so wives, women, submit. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we normally do. Chunked out. And, and not, don't get me off on my rant, all right? I'll, I'll be all right. But he started by saying, be spirit-filled, submit to each other. So husbands, be husbands. Mm-hmm. How do I submit to Selena? By being her husband. By loving her as Christ loves the church. By giving of myself to her as he gave to me. right? By being what a divine husband is. In that act of leadership, I am humbling myself to the role I've been given. Yes. Then I have a shot to be exalted and actually be what she needs. Therefore, she can submit herself or humble herself by being a wife. Do you see how this works? Same thing, parents and children. Parents. You can submit to your kids by teaching them and nurturing them and the love and the admonition of the Lord, not provoking them to anger by setting the standard so high that they never feel like they can achieve it. Mm-hmm. And you can be a parent. That's how I submit to my kids. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? They submit to me through obedience and honor and respect. Right? It says masters and servants. Right? Masters employers, people who are in charge, we submit ourselves by being good leaders. Yes. Right? By realizing that those that serve us belong to belong to us as brothers and sisters, not as indentured servants, but they belong to us and they are under our care and we are to love them as Christ loves us as our man. And I submit do you see this? And then they respond by serving us well, realizing that the one who served is a brother and is benefited. Now does this all make sense? Mm-hmm. See, a spirit-filled life is a humble life. It's a submissive life. What does that mean? That I put under thumb? No. It means I step fully into who I was made to be as the potter. By the potter. The potter made me a man. So I can humble myself by being a man. Right? I chose to be a husband. He didn't make me that. I chose. But I can humble myself by being a godly husband. I chose to have children. Right, so I can humble myself by being their father. Does that make sense? Now, he made me a pastor. I can humble myself by stepping into what he has made me to be. Do you understand? And where the devil distorts this is to think less of yourself and to doubt what the potter has done with you. Does, does this help me? This is the applications of why this is important. Right, because I love your aspect. Because God made us in His image. Yes. So the question I ask, what is that? People ask all the time, Brad, because we teach on this a lot. Is God male or female? And I'll say, well, He's just God. <laughs> he's not either one. He's both. And the only way I can know Him is to understand male and female. He had to break it down and keep it simple. 
Does that make sense? But he's neither. So to understand him, I have to understand both genders. Does, does that make sense? One last thing, and I'll go Because remember, when God created Adam, there was this neat little, and this is Brad's uh, sanctified imagination, right? Because he is a wonderful, masterful teacher. So God makes Adam, and in Genesis 1, he makes them together. He made them male and female. But how many of you know there was a season of time where Adam was one being? Eve had not been created yet. So inside of Adam, Adam could engage the world from both genders. He had both perspectives on life. And God set him up for the perfect teachable life lesson. So God starts saying, now go name everything and tell it what it is. That's called taxonomy. Be the first taxonomist in the world. And so Adam begins to name and Adam starts to see a pattern. Well, here's a male Here's a female. Here's a male. Here's a here's a here's a female. And then Adam's looking at himself and going, "I'm by my little lonesome, right?" And God begins to go, "He's catching on." So then God comes down and says, "It's not good that anyone be alone, not lonely, but alone by themselves." Meaning, we can say it like this: It's not good that that anyone doesn't have someone like themselves. You see the lesson? Even as Adam engages with God, he sees God as Elohim in three parts. Adam's the only at that time singular individual that God's setting up this lesson. Right? So then God does what God does. God puts Adam to sleep. And in my mind, he leans him up against a tree. He's under Holy Ghost amnesia or something. God reaches into Adam and pulls out Eve from where she was. He didn't turn again to the dirt and make her from something new. When he went to get Eve, he went to where she was at. Where was she? In Adam. And he pulls from Adam everything female. Forms Eve and then does the classic big reveal like we see on HGTV, right? And so he reaches around the corner, taps Adam on the shoulder, wakes that boy up, and presents Eve to him. And what did Adam say? That's what everybody says. The preachers say, whoa, man. But it, and it makes a great joke, but what he actually said is, is more powerful. He didn't look at her and say, well, that's awesome. I don't know what it is. I like it, but what is it? Right? Does it come with a manual? Right? He didn't say any of that. Adam immediately looked at Eve and said, There I am. Yeah. Come on. That's me. That's bone of my bone. That is flesh of my flesh. In my imagination, Adam went to sleep with an ability to engage the world from both perspectives. When he wakes up, something's missing. Until God reveals it in flesh. Then he makes the powerful statement that says, Now this relationship will supersede all other relationships. This relationship will surpass parent child relationship. Right? This will become the most important relationship in creation. Because then a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and there'll be one flesh. Does this make sense? But if I think that she's less than me, or we're not equal, mm -hmm. then I won't value, A, the image of God that is us, 
nor will I draw life from the image of God that I was given, nor will I benefit from another aspect of God. Guys, and that, that happens gender, race, socioeconomics. That is, you see that design of the devil across creation. If he can convince anyone that they're better or anyone that they're worse, then you fall prey into his trap because both are pride. Yes. And he, he, he hampers those people from being exalted. Amen? Amen. So can we do this? Can you just play for me real quick, just as you were sharing, Penny? I always want to have us an opportunity to respond to the word of God. All right? And again, I'm going to just step into a little bit of So to all my pastor teachers, all my public gifts, remember when God gives you a message, there's always a response. Right? We're never to gather and hear the word and never be, be given an opportunity to respond to the word. Because remember, the word that is only heard and not acted upon brings no blessing with it. Right? It's only once we hear the word and are given a chance to act upon the word, respond to the word, that then there's a blessing that comes. Amen? So this is what I want you to do. If you're here, especially if you're a lady with us today, I want you to respond to what you heard from the Spirit of God. And I want you to respond kind of radical. I want you to respond, I'm awesome. Right? And I want you to begin to say this is, and just step into it. Step into your equality a little bit deeper. Maybe you're, you're all fine with that. If you're here and you're a guy, right, and maybe uh, you haven't seen women that way, right, this is your chance to stop and to say, okay, I'm going to start seeing women God's way. Does that make sense? If you're here and you're a man, it may be, again, as you pointed out, there's as equal attack against masculinity as there is against femininity. If you're here as a guy, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to also say, hey, I'm awesome. And I want you to step into and be willing to say, I will be what the potter has made me to be. If I'm a man, I'm going to be all man. Right? If I'm a woman, I'm going to be all woman. I'm going to let the potter define this for me because I am equal to him and I'm equal to everyone else. Does that make sense? So just as she plays, just do that right now in your own words, right where you're seated. Amen. You can make your little space around you, if you will, a bit of an altar. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just come to you, Lord, I force to be reckoned with, a 
force for good and not evil. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Lord, help me to be a husband like you are. Show me more what it looks like to father well. Both those that are mine and those that you will bring to me that are not mine by birth, but mine by spirit in Jesus' name. together on God's mission and purpose but not because I can't do it by myself amen amen you need you need again if I can speak to our young single people again especially our teenagers right amen do not treat the opposite sex like I did they're not an accessory you don't need a boyfriend or a girlfriend to make your outfit complete <laughs> amen not a purse or a watch or a wallet. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You don't need one. You came complete and whole, all out of Jesus, birthed out of the life of God. You came fully equipped and whole and complete in Him. So we don't seek another to complete us. Right? We have a desire to be married. We seek a person to make a promise to. We seek a person to say, I will promise and commit to walk life with you, and together we will go after the plan of God. Together we will advance the kingdom of God. Together we will bring our unique parts that the potter made us to be, and together we will serve the world. Amen? So, Lord, we love you so much. So grateful, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you for making us one together. Thank you for equality that is true. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to fight for our equality. I don't have to defend my equality. Just as Jesus, you did not defend your equality with Father. 
So therefore, because we don't have to defend equality, we can now, like you, Jesus, become the servant that you made us to be. We can serve freely and wholly from a heart that is based on you in Jesus' name. Amen.